Many of the uh, parables we've been looking at this fall begin with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. But this kingdom is not about territorial boundaries or, or royal courts or councils of government. different than an earthly kingdom that we might think of. It's a kingdom over a spiritual realm where God rules. One way to define the kingdom of heaven is to say it's God's gracious rule over the hearts of those who know Him. So that when we pray, Thy kingdom come in the Lord's prayer, we're saying, God, may Your rule be extended over human hearts such that your will is done on earth as is already being done in heaven. Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it was his favorite subject and one of the favorite means by which he chose to convey the meaning or the nature of this kingdom was through the use of parables. Parables, remember, are simple stories that are drawn from everyday life that ordinary people could relate to. So this morning we come to two parables drawn from the world of nature, the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. So listen to the Lord speak to us. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in his branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, if we are to understand these parables aright, we have to consider the mood of those who would have first heard these words, the, the people who had gathered around Jesus. To be sure, there would have been a mood of, of eager expectation. They knew that this Jesus was somebody really special. They were uh, impressed with His words. They were impressed with his, his deeds. They, many of them really thought, this is, this is the guy. This is the Messiah. This is the one who was chosen by God to lead the people to victory. And Jesus said, and, and all the people were excited, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then the people looked around and they said, well, okay, so where is this kingdom? <laughs> where is it? To them, not much seemed to be happening. You know, a few, few poor people had been helped. Some sick people had been healed. Um, he had gathered around himself some ordinary folk from common life. I mean, fishermen and some other assorted folks. They were his inner circle, not impressive people by any means. 
He was followed by a pack of dirty kids everywhere, and uh, it seems that some of the out, outcasts on the fringe of society adored him. But where was the kingdom? There was no evidence. I mean, life continued uh, in the cities. The cultural elites continued to ignore him. So the group of people that gathered around Jesus grew discouraged, and uh, they were not a little bit, I think, disillusioned. Is this all there is, Jesus? If you're the Messiah, then why is it that not much seems to be happening here? And this is the same thing that John the Baptist was wondering as he was languishing in a dungeon cell somewhere near the Dead Sea. Not long before, John had baptized Jesus and said, this man is one I'm not worthy to untie the the straps of his sandals. This is the man. This is God's man. This is the, 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 the lamb. This is the one. He must increase and I must decrease. John pointed to him as the Messiah. But here he was in his prison cell. King Herod was still ruling. The Romans were still in control of the country. And John the Baptist was saying, what gives? What gives here? In fact, he sent some messengers uh, to Jesus saying, are are you the one or, or should we look for somebody else? Because you see, Jesus, you're not playing the part. You're not playing the part of the Messiah. You know, your role is to throw off all the evildoers, you know, to get rid of the Romans. But you know what, Jesus? You are attending too many dinner dinner parties. You're having too much fun, laughing too much, and you're preaching too many sermons about love and peace. Jesus, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? I don't know, have you ever had feelings like that? I wonder, you know, you look at the sorry state of the world and then you think about the troubling circumstances in your own life and you say, well, Jesus, you're supposed to be in my life. I invited you into my heart. Then why do I still have these same problems, the same heartaches and the same pains? And and why isn't the world different? Why is it that nothing seems to have changed? And you know what? It's a legitimate question because, you know, Jesus appeared, came to this earth 2,000 years ago. So wouldn't you think the Messiah would have totally transformed the world by now? If Christ had come into the world as a great light, why is it that the, the world seems so dark? And if He's a Redeemer, why is it that so much seems to be so unredeemed? The angels proclaimed to Jesus' birth, peace on earth, goodwill to all. And then we look around and we say, well, where's the peace? Where is it? Well, I believe that Jesus told the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast to encourage His followers who are tempted to give in to a sense of disillusionment. He wanted them to understand something really important, something basic about the way God works and about the way God God is bringing in His kingdom. 
And it may be different than what you and I would do if we were God, right? He said to those gathered around him, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. The mustard seed was, was proverbial in the sense that, you know, it was something that, that people would understand to be something really tiny. Um, Jesus was using a little bit of exaggerated speech here. It's not necessarily the tiniest of all seeds, but it's very tiny. Proverbial, it was considered by the people. Oh, man, that's really, really tiny. You can hardly see it, and yet it grows into a, well, a big bush, really, about 10 or 12 feet. Okay, a small tree that birds favor because they like to eat its tiny seeds. So the point Jesus is making is very simple. Like the mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven is small in the beginning, and yet it grows to a surprising size. The kingdom of God begins small. Now, it's hard for us to imagine that God's kingdom would in any sense be small. I mean, wherever God rules, right, you think of power and majesty and glory. God's bringing in His kingdom, you'd expect the same thing. Power, glory, majesty. But contrary to all expectation, and look at the way now that, that God has come to us in Christ. Yes, He does come with power and glory and majesty, but different than what we would expect. Contrary to all expectations, the Messiah arrived not on a white horse as a mighty warrior, as the but He came to us as a helpless infant, born to an ordinary couple in the small little backwater town of Bethlehem. He had no palace or no revolutionary encampment to protect Him or His destiny. He grew up, and His ministry was something of a disappointment to John the Baptist and to a lot of other people. The smallness of Jesus' style and His ministry just didn't seem to register with people who were expecting something really grand. And perhaps it was disillusionment that caused one of Jesus' followers to betray Him. And you know the story. He was arrested, and He was crucified on a cross, dying like a common criminal. I mean, talk about a small, unimpressive beginning. In fact, his death seemed like to be like it was the end of everything, the end of everything. And yet, in that smallness of that event, in that faraway corner of the Roman Empire, nobody else paying much attention, in that event, God did a mighty thing in Jesus and God raised Jesus from the dead, and His kingdom has been growing ever since. 
Just as the tiny mustard seed has within it an inner dynamic that causes it to grow, so the seemingly small kingdom beginning that God made in Jesus' life and ministry has incredible power to grow, to change people's lives, to transform the world. God's power is at work. He's been at work in ways both great and small. He's at work in ways that we don't even know. We're not even aware of it. In ways that are not immediately apparent. In ways that are almost just hidden from us. But you know what? When the small seed of God's Word gets into somebody and it gets planted in a heart that is soft enough to receive the Word, and when the Holy Spirit begins to work in somebody's life, things begin to change. Things begin to grow. All of a sudden, when we were Christians in name only, now the light goes on, the seed's growing, all of a sudden the world begins to look different. And many folks, in fact, in this room can testify to God's power within, right? In fact, the power of God is something like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it was worked all through the dough. Yeast is a microscopic fungus that's able to transform flour and water into bread. The yeast or or the leaven is hidden in the flour. It can't be seen, right? But it works away quietly altering the makeup of the material there, the flour and the water, and turns it into dough that could be baked into bread. Like yeast, Jesus was saying, God's power is at work often in a hidden way, not visible to us with the eyes perhaps, but God is at work in human hearts. may not be immediately obvious, but the kingdom of God God's power is permeating and quietly transforming the world. The kingdom power of God is having a lively, positive effect in the world, whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of it or not. God is doing His thing. Now, it takes time for a mustard seed to grow into a big bush. It takes time for the yeast to quietly do its work in a hidden way, to leaven the bread, to make it rise. To those who look at the world, their lives, and see that precious little is happening, Jesus is counseling patience. Patience. The parables teach that we as God's people must be willing to wait for the good effect that God is working in people's lives and in the world. But you see, that's not good enough for us, right? We want We want something. We want to see something spectacular. We think God ought to work on a grand scale. We want the the second coming of the Lord to come today and to wipe out all the evildoers and to usher in His kingdom and all will be glorious and, and so on. You know, we want it done today. We people who tend to be rather action results oriented, patience is very difficult. You see, we're always in a hurry, it seems, but God is not in a hurry. So what's required of you and me is trust in God. Trust that God knows what He's doing. 
trust in God's own strategy for the world. Again, it may not be like what we would do. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God has His own sense of timing. God is at work. And so we are to be patient. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed or a little bit of yeast. It may seem small, but the incredible power of God is at work. Great things come from small beginnings. Patience, we can't rush the process. So the counsel of James, from the letter of James, we have this little sentence. It's apropos for us today. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. So you and I may lament the fact that God doesn't seem to be doing much, that God's not up to anything. But appearances can be deceiving. If we would look but, you know, beneath the surface of things, we would find the power of Christ everywhere at work. He is giving sight to the blind. He's opening the eyes of countless people to the truth about themselves, about their spiritual need, about their value, their potential, their destiny, and their relationship to God. Christ is opening eyes. He's healing the lame, not just the physical, physically disabled, but He's healing those who have been injured by life, by the things that have happened to them in life, that have bent them over, that have damaged them, sometimes from people's own poor choices, but He enables people to walk tall and strong. He brings healing. He's opening the ears of the deaf. Those who are unable to hear the good news of God's love are now free to listen and to respond. And He is raising the spiritually dead. So is it really the case that God isn't doing anything in the world today? I mean, really? We may want to, we may think so. But is there no evidence that God's kingdom is growing? Really? Actually, the signs of the kingdom are everywhere if we would but look. People are being healed and restored and ransomed and forgiven. Looks can be deceiving. Great things come from small beginnings. Just look at the mustard seed and that little bit of yeast in the dough. Small things, but each possesses within itself great power to grow and to expand. The kingdom is growing, and one day, one day, it'll be obvious to all. I mean, everybody will see it. One day, the angel, the angel shall sound the trumpet, and there will be loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He shall reign forever and ever. So may it be. I mean, hallelujah. The Lord is working His purposes out, whether we know it 
whether we appreciate it or not. In the meantime, until that His kingdom finally comes in in all its fullness, the Lord says, strengthen your heart. Keep the faith. God is at work and the kingdom is growing. And may His kingdom grow in you and me. Think of the words of John the Baptist. May He increase and may we decrease. May He rule over our lives. Not just in theory, but in fact. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, so often we look at life the wrong way and we tend to be people who see life as though uh, it were a glass that's half empty, when in fact we know beneath the surface at least that you are powerfully at work. And so, Lord, may your kingdom continue to grow and grow and grow and grow till, till in the end everyone shall know you until your love will be so vast that it would be like the waters covering the earth. Lord, spare us from a sense of disillusionment. You are in control. You are sovereign. You're bringing your purposes out. And so, Lord, we would pray for faith, for trust, and for patience, and for a greater rule over our own hearts. Lord, be our King. In Jesus' name, amen.